Welcome to the Bright Business Women podcast, where we explore the backstories of successful business founders, company directors, authors, speakers, creative geniuses, and professional service providers. Listen as we explore what makes these creative, lively, enterprising people tick. Expect the unexpected, true stories, life hacks, funny anecdotes, even some outrageous controversy, if we're lucky. I'm your host, Pauline Bright. Let's dive in. Episode 6. Robin Moyle is a director and co-founder of The H Factor, an online people management system designed around natural human behaviour. She has a fascinating story about how her business has flipped on its head with a light bulb moment. This is the story of how her business developed a piece of software and a system to get people to take ownership of their roles and work effectively and more enjoyably without constantly being nagged and told what to do. She has stories about how human behaviour works, right from when she was a little kid learning how to play mum and dad off each other, to over 25 years working in strategic HR management in large private, family-owned and publicly listed companies. Before starting her own business, she was the human resources manager for the Gull Petroleum Group of Companies in Australia and New Zealand. She's a certified HR practitioner with the Australian Human Resources Institute. She's a trainer, a speaker, and highly entertaining to chat with. Welcome, yes. Robin. Great. Thank you. I do want to talk about some really interesting things that we've already been talking about um, privately. You have a really interesting journey of how you got to where you got to, but let's start with where you are now. So tell us a bit about where are you now? What are you doing? What's important? Okay, so where we are right now in the business is the business has always been about the understanding and the belief that every human being uh, deserves to feel the joy of inspired contribution. So that's kind of always been the goal and it still is today. So the business today is that we've developed a piece of software that is really designed for um, managers, leaders to help them lead their people in a way that is based on natural human drivers. So the system is designed around those natural drivers and it helps business owners and leaders have a sense of confidence that their people see the business the same way that they do and it gives the people the opportunity to run it like they own it. Mm. Um, it gives them autonomy um, to feel that they're in charge of themselves and what we've found is really good employees absolutely love the system so mm. it's a product and an implementation process that's sold in one package mm. and it started out as a service though didn't it yeah um andrew and i so andrew my business partner and i we started as a consultancy firm so we were helping our our clients um, be strategic about growing their business and also it always had that flavor of bringing their people with them so huge engagement focus but throughout what we were doing we wanted to originally find a piece of software that made the processes that we were implementing that made them sticky so that when we left we had the confidence that those processes were going to continue even in those times of panic mm. or high stress when a lot of times in those situations, people revert to what they've always done because mm. it's become habitual. 
So we wanted to find uh, a system that would actually make all of these things sticky. And we couldn't find it, so we thought the only thing that we could do was build it. I love that. That's that true entrepreneurial <laughs> yeah. spirit, isn't it? It's like we go looking for things, and then we realise that we're the person who's supposed to create yes, it. Yes, that's instead right. Of, instead of pushing it off to somebody else or cobbling together bits that don't fit, yes. we can build something that is you know, our own ideal system. Exactly. Which is brilliant. Exactly. So that's fantastic. So there's a story I want you to tell, but not yet. But I do want to go back to the beginnings so um what is this thing that fascinates you about human beings because it's like it's it seems to be the thread through your life so what is that thing yeah so first of all it's worth saying that anyone with kids knows that the first thing they keep asking is why 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 and and most of us grow out of that i kind of didn't and i was particularly interested in in the way that people behaved and sometimes that wasn't logical so I started to realise that human behaviour, it's hard to sort of just read a book and apply a process because one, we're all different. And two, a lot of the behaviour that you see in business is not always logical. And, you know, all the typical business 101 books that are out there don't actually prepare you for that. So in everything that I've done and, and you know, I started in the personnel department at Bunning Brothers when the Bunnings still owned the company. So that kind of gives a hint as to how old I am. <laughs> but, and, and I kind of fell into it. But, of course, these things are never by accident. It's you, You're attracted to something and you find yourself there. And I think if you're willing to willing to be a little bit vulnerable and, and willing to take chances when they're put in front of you because it just felt right. Mm. So there may not be any logic to it, but it just felt right. I felt that this was, you know, the direction that I wanted to go in and I've never looked back. Mm. I think if sometimes you analyse things too much and you might take a different direction and then later in life you end up back to where you should have always been. But I've just been one to sort of follow that instinct of this this feels right for me to do this. So, mm. you know, started in personnel, ended up, you know, in corporate as a human resources manager and then started playing with some concepts that I started to believe and develop and then have brought those concepts um, and processes into my own business. Mm. So tell me about your business experience. So did you have you had another business apart from the one you've got at the moment or was it a gradual process going from corporate through to that business? How did that work? No, it um, started in the personnel department at, at Bunnings, then went to um, a couple of other organisations. And the organisation, the business I was with before I started my own business was Gold Petroleum. So I was the HR manager at Gold Petroleum. And as I said, I was kind of playing with some of these processes and theories and thinking, wow, you know, this is actually working. And I was getting, I was seeing employees change behaviours quite substantially to the positive. And I thought, wow, this actually, this is, there's something behind this. And then had this feeling of, I've kind of implemented some of these processes here, but it was the implementation and seeing the results that really gave me the buzz. So that was what started me thinking, well, 
I can implement, if I'm working for somebody, I can implement once. If I'm working for myself and consulting to other businesses, I can implement several times. And it was about that time that Gull Petroleum were looking for somebody to purchase them and eventually they were purchased at the end of 2010 by um, Ausfuels, who are now Puma, who sold out to Puma. So as they say, the stars sort of aligned because I had this interest in starting my own business. I could see I could end up with a redundancy out of this and that would be the the finance I needed to start my own business and that's exactly exactly what happened. Ah, and so what kind of um, research or study did you do to, to become an HR consultant or was it really just inherent? It was in, inherent. Um, I, I ended up doing a postgrad diploma with, and that was an online thing with um, Deakin University. So I ended up getting certificates in that. But as I said, I kind of stumbled into it, had a huge interest from the time I was a child um, about human behaviour. And I'm sure I'm not alone there. I mean, how many people have got kids that are very good manipulators because, <laughs> because they learn human behaviour quite quickly? But I, I not only learned from it, but it fascinated me. Mm. You know, I'd see somebody else behave in a way and I'd think, wow, what's, what's kind of behind that? So I think I, I really sort of stumbled into it, ended up in that corporate role with Gull mm. and then thought... You know, you, you start to second-guess yourself and, and start saying to yourself, well, I don't really know. I haven't got any formal qualifications in this, so am, should I actually even be here? And I, it was that that made me do this course and, and get the certificates. But it was quite amusing through the, tra- the, the official training. They don't teach you the, the stuff that's really valuable. That, that human aspect, human behaviour that's that's perhaps not logical. Mm. It's really interesting, isn't it, that we put so much value on formal education and yet we get more, much more of it just from life. And Absolutely. From, and from our fascination with things. Yes. And I love that, that whole, if I'm fascinated about something, I can't leave it alone. I that's have to right. just go and learn some yes. more and, and just soak it all up and then be able to apply it yeah. and, and just see what works and what doesn't and yeah. tweak the results. So. And I mean, an expert is only somebody who has put more focus into one particular subject. Yeah. Yeah. That's it's how great. they become experts. Yeah, it's terrific. So tell me about little little Robin. When Robin was little, what was his fascination with people? Well, as I kind of alluded to a moment ago, um, I kind of knew how to, you know, and not alone, to manipulate mum and dad. <laughs> And I've got one sister, and and it kind of I kind of used it there too. But it was I was always in trouble, but I could often push that over to my sister and kind of take a step back, and you know she would get the blame for things. And 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 I I have to say that I used it to my advantage, and it just it was just a fascination seeing how you know you could play mum against dad and dad against mum and, <laughs> and and of course you know all kids do that but I took a particular interest in it um, which makes me sound like some sort of narcissist but <laughs> but I, I also learnt um, through life experience the, the the beautiful side of that 
you know, the, the beauty of, of humanity and, and the, the parts that you kind of watch and, you know, your heart swells and mm. your eyes leak and those sorts of moments, you know, I, I, I sort of really saw an appreciation in that too. Mm. So tell us about the Queensland flood story. Tell yeah. me what that was. So um, I left at the end of 2010. I left Gullet the end of 2010 and as I said I ended up with, with a redundancy with that um, and it was right at the same time so January 2011 was when Queensland had its I mean it's had a couple of floods since then but January 2011 was the horrific ones and I, I remember watching sitting watching the um, news telecast live streaming and I was sitting on the couch and I was, you know, there was tears running down my cheeks and I'm looking at this devastation and thinking, you know, this is this is Australia. This is not a third world country. This is a modern country and look at how it's suffering. And I was really kind of emotionally affected by it. And then I saw something absolutely beautiful and this is kind of tapping into that humanity side it was the 15th of January 2011. That's I remember the date. Um, and the government of the day, it's three days after the floods had gone through Brisbane CBD. And the government of the day, she asked for um, 8,000 or 6,000 volunteers to help with the cleanup. The army had already moved in and they were, they were cleaning up the mess. And it was a horrible mess. So they asked for 6,000 volunteers and 80,000 Queenslanders, men, women and children, queued up with their own equipment to pile onto buses, which is not something that we like to do. We don't normally like to queue for anything. Um, they were then stuck in traffic for a while because the, the road system was still an absolute mess. Um, that's another thing we love to do, get stuck in traffic, mm. right? No. Oh, yeah, not. Yeah. <laughs> and then they were eventually dropped off at the worst affected areas of Brisbane, and the first thing that hit them was the absolute stench because unless you're literally in it, floods and sewerage. Mm. So the working conditions that those people were working in were probably the worst they've ever experienced. And it was hard manual labour. But I would guarantee that at the end of the day, when they fell into bed, they would have had the best feeling of elation that they've ever felt, that feeling of satisfaction that they had made mm. a difference to people's lives is huge. Mm. And I was watching that and, of course, it then occurred to me no one actually told them what to do. No one told them what to do once they got there and certainly nobody paid them for it. So they brought their own, like they, they responded to a call yeah. and they brought their own buckets and yes. mops and yes. wellies and everything That's right. and just galvanised as a group without any real organisation. Absolutely. Brilliant. And I, th I was looking at that and I thought, what motive, you know, if you're talking about motivation and engagement, which, you know, HR people talk about all the time, well, that was the best demonstration of that I had ever seen. But... As I said, no one told them what to do. No one paid them. No one told them to do it. So I, I was looking at that example and asked myself, if I could bottle that, if I could package that, what actually is it? 
And there was four things that sort of stood out for me. The first thing was a cause, a reason, or a why. The second thing, so that there was a reason for them to mm. do it, a big cause. Mm. The second thing was it was a sense of community. So that human desire to be part of something bigger than yourself is very powerful and it was beautifully demonstrated there. The third one, which is really, really powerful, is autonomy. Can you imagine if when they got off the bus there was a government official with a clipboard that said, okay, you know, the third house down on the left, go in there and clean up the kitchen. You know, people would have flipped the bird and hopped back on the, bu- uh, <laughs> oh, on the bus. Would. Yeah, because we don't like being told what no. to do. So they, they were given that autonomy. Mm. And the fourth one was that feeling of elation when they fell into bed. So that feeling of sense of satisfaction when they can look back on a job well done mm. and feel good about it. And I thought if you look at those four things, a reason or a why, sense of community, autonomy and feeling a sense of satisfaction, I said to myself, can we provide that in business? And, of course, the answer for that is yes. Mm. And everything that we have done in our business in developing our IP and developing the process and now the software is about delivering those four things to people so that they can contribute fully to the organisation that they belong to. Mm. And the software and the implementation process that goes with that is all about delivering those four things. And we not only engage with the business leaders and teach them how to provide it, but we also engage with the the business's people to get their input so that we can start that process of autonomy and getting them to own their roles and willingly be held accountable to them. Mm. And I think when you when you get that, when you understand those human drivers then you can you you've got a powerful business mm. because it's it becomes powerful leadership mm. and people are very much motivated by the things that they want to do that they believe in yes and so it's not hard to get people to do something if they feel like if they feel connected yeah they're connected and they feel like it's their idea they've got some input yes. they've got some engagement yes so tell me how that works in practicality yeah, tell me how that works. So what we've done is we've developed a process called an outcome conversation. So where in traditional business you have performance reviews and it's the most dreaded part of the year. Mm. It's often HR have said, right, everybody, you need to do your performance reviews and everybody hates it, not just the people who are receiving it but the pe- people who are delivering it. Mm. And about five or six years ago, GE actually stopped doing them and they were the ones that invented them. So GE stopped doing it and they said, we've lost good people through it, there's no positives out of it and it's a complete waste of time and everyone hates it. So they said, so we're just not going to do it. But what we're going to do is we're going to replace it with a more casual touch base on a more regular basis. And I thought to myself, well, I'm glad you've recognised how awful it is, but what it sounds like you're saying is you're just going to torture people more often. (laughs) And slowly. And slowly. (laughs) So because what I thought was it wasn't about making it more casual. 
unless you change the focus of the conversation, it's still going to feel uncomfortable because the traditional performance review is me sitting across the table from you talking to you about you. That's why it feels awkward because at that moment I'm sitting across the table judging you. So even if I'm giving you positive feedback, there's still an uncomfortable element about it. It's like when you give somebody a compliment. Mm. People will, you know, we've got to teach ourselves to say, oh, thanks very much, that's lovely of you. We have to actually teach that because the normal behaviour is right at that moment you were judging me and we don't like it. So what we've done is we've shifted the focus from talking to you about you to shift the focus to now talk about an outcome that you are responsible for delivering. And the conversation goes, if this is the outcome, how would you like to deliver it? And mm. what is it I can do to assist you in that? And then shutting up and mm. letting the person tell you how they would like to deliver it. In doing that very subtle shift, I'm no longer judging you. Now I'm sitting side by side with you and we're together talking about an outcome. And now you are given the autonomy because I'm going to now shut my mouth and let you tell me how you are delivering it or how you would like to deliver it and what is it I can do to assist you because as a leader, that's actually my job. Mm. My job isn't to tell you what to do. My job isn't to tell you off. My job isn't to direct everybody about everything that they do. My actual job is to serve you. My actual job is to say to you, I'm here to clear the way for you to deliver a good outcome for the company and for our clients. That's my job. Mm. And we make that very clear in the, in the implementation process and we teach people how to have these conversations. Mm. Because what normally happens is a lot of people, a lot of leaders have the best intentions. They kind of know that's what they're supposed to do. But there's a key to it, and that is the silence. So what happens is if I ask you a question, if I say, if this is the outcome, how would you like to deliver that? And there, we all heard that 1.5 seconds, and then it felt uncomfortable because no one was answering. And it happens really quickly, 1.5 seconds. So in that time frame, as soon as it feels uncomfortable, me as a leader... I'm tempted to say, because I was thinking what you could do is X, Y, Z. And now what I'm going to get from you is not ownership. What I'm going to get from you is nodding and agreeing with what I'm saying. Mm. So I haven't given you the autonomy. I haven't handed over ownership to you. And I still own the outcome. And if if what I've said goes pear-shaped, you can always say to me, well, all I, you said it, Robin, I just agreed with mm, you. You told me what to do. Yeah, yeah. You told me what to do, and so I did it. It's such a basic human compulsion, really, isn't it, to tell people what to do. Yes. And because we, we can't help it because we have our own best advice and we know that, you know, yes. we can see what you need to do and here's what you should do. Yeah. So that, um, I like that 1.5 seconds because... In that 1.5 seconds, you as the speaker, you as the questioner, can also take a breath. 
Yes. And just relax into that. And listen. Into that and just listen. Yeah. And it's, it's a skill that most of us need to learn, really, yeah. isn't it? Just yeah. that listening skill. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. So once, once that's mastered, I've seen it completely transform businesses. Yeah. Completely. Yeah. Because it, it's so unusual, isn't it, that people are actually asked in business, particularly employees, Ask for their, their opinions and their yes. thoughts and their ideas. Genuinely asked. Yes. And and it's and it's in that moment of silence that it becomes clear to the employee, oh, you really actually want my opinion. Yes. You're not going to just tell me. You're not just going to answer your own question. And that's the challenge, isn't it? Yeah. To not go go over the top and yeah. you know here's what I'd do. Yes. <laughs> yeah. You can guide, when you learn this process and part of the implementation process, teaching people how to do this, but you can still guide that conversation. So the key is there's two simple skills. Get comfortable with the 1.5 seconds of silence or more. It just gets awkward after 1.5. And the second skill is to know what the next question is that I need to ask so if you find yourself asking more questions than making statements you're on the right track Mm. you're giving the person the ownership of their role and if they say something that's wrong the temptation is to say oh no that's wrong you can't do that instead of that knee-jerk reaction then Think about why that's wrong and say, okay, well, that's interesting, but how would that impact this? And let them get there. Mm. So how would that impact this and be quiet? Because they're going to think about that for a moment and then go, oh, no, you couldn't do that because of X. And you'll say, yeah, that's right. Mm. So what? If knowing that, what would you do? One of my favourite things to do is if I'm stuck for a question... I will ask the other person what they think the next question is. So yeah, and and that's a really good way. Of, if you, particularly if it's if this is a new process for you yes. and you're not comfortable with it yet, be comfortable enough to be able to say, okay, so we've talked about this and this. What do you think the next question is? Yeah, what's the question you want me to ask you? Yeah, and it's just it's so inclusive yes. and it just. It helps break the ice from you being the guru and them not. Yes. Um, and then you can you can actually often go into probably uncharted territory Absolutely. that you've never thought of. So the worst thing I think you can do in a conversation like that is to try and have your own agenda and direct it exactly the way you want to de- yeah. direct it. But one of the best things you can do is ask better questions. Yes. And so it's just learning that process of yes. asking questions. Yeah. Because it, it's fascinating to watch something go somewhere that you had no idea it was going to go there. Yeah, because once you get used to asking these questions, you can change it up a bit. So you can say, we've been having this conversation for a while now. Let's ask a different question. Mm. If we could deliver this outcome even better, what would that look like? Yeah. Yes. And then what you'll get is, you know, some reflection. And then you'll get, oh, well, actually, we could probably blah, blah, blah. And that's Mm. where you get. That's called continual improvement process. That's called, oh, and then you can start saying, and how would you know that you're successful? If you could measure something that would tell you you're successful in what you've just said, what would that be? And then you, they, they'll start saying things like, oh, well, 
Okay, if I was delivering that outcome successfully, I would start getting some feedback from this department. I would start getting some positive feedback from our clients. And what that's called is they're developing their own KPIs. But generally, if you said to somebody, these are your KPIs, you straight away put the fear of God in them because people freak out when you present them with KPIs that they've had no input in. Yes, exactly. So you're removing all that fear. Yeah, yeah. And, and when people develop their own KPIs, they're more likely to actually take action on them, aren't they? Yes, because when they deliver them, there's a sense of pride. Yes. They can only have a sense of pride when they have told you how they're going to deliver it and then do it. Yes. If you tell them how to do it or do this, this and this, and they do it, there's no pride in that because no. they're just following directions. No, and, and you know, there are people that like to be told what to do. Yes. Or they'll tell you they like to be told what to do. Just tell yeah. me what to do and I'll do it. And there are those people who will say, just don't tell me what to do. I don't like being told what to do. Yes. Tell me about the difference between the two. Yeah. All of us, as human beings, want autonomy. So even those people that say, look, you just, you just tell me what to do and I'll do it. That's often driven by insecurity. It's also sometimes often driven by, I really respect you as a boss and I want to do everything right because I want to please you. And that's, that's a good thing. But if you've got that person, I would always suggest that people say, well, you know, you actually know this stuff better than I do. You know this every single time. You know this stuff. So tell me what it is that you know. I know it's there. And if they're struggling a little bit, just boost them up a bit, continually boost them up. You've been doing this so successfully for so long. I don't know what we do without you. And you're telling me to just tell you what to do. You know this stuff better than I do. So continually boost them up. And then, then ask them the question. So what it, you tell me now what it is you do to deliver this. And let that silence sit. And they will start saying, well, um, I blah, blah, blah. And then say, yeah, exactly. And then what you'll find is they'll start saying, yeah, I do know this stuff. I'm actually pretty damn good at this stuff. And you'll see that pride start to swell. Mm. And then they will realise that they don't need to be told, that they have, they can have that autonomy. Often um, you'll see that in people that have been told what to do their whole life. And most of us have. We're born, we have all this, fire in our belly and you know we want to explore everything and we get our hands burnt and all this stuff and then we first of all we've got our parents saying no you need to clean your room you need to do this you need to go to school put clean socks on so and then they go to school and they're told when they can pee and when they can eat and when they can do this so our whole culture our whole it's all about indoctrination into employment which is about being told what to do mm. So a lot of people, because they've grown up with that, will often say to you, just tell me what to do because they don't want to make a mistake and mm. they don't want to disappoint. The worst thing they could imagine is to disappoint you. Mm. But when you, when you understand that that autonomy thing is so, so powerful, if you can give that to them, you have given them the biggest gift. And, you know, the reason that we do what we do at the H Factor is because we strongly believe that every human being has the right to experience the joy of inspired contribution. And they cannot enjoy that 
fully until they own it. Mm. So if you can persevere with that, that, that's why they're saying that to you. We all want that autonomy. And if you can give it to them, you've given them the best gift they've ever received. Mm. And so sometimes you'll come across an employee who is less than ideal. The first solution that we jump to is just get rid of get them, rid get of rid them. them, get them out of there. But you've got a great story about someone yeah. who didn't. Yes. Who didn't go. So um, I, when I was the HR manager at Gull Petroleum, I had one of the site managers phone me and she literally said to me on the phone, Robin, I need you to help me get rid of this bloody kid. And I said to her, well, that sounds a bit serious. Perhaps I should come out and have a coffee with you. So I went out, met across the road, and I said, what's the problem? This was, I'm going back about 15 years ago now because I've been in business 10, 10 years myself. So it was about five years before that. And she said to me, I've got this kid. I mean, he was 19 or 20. He wasn't a kid, but that's how she referred to him. She said, I've got this kid that opens the site. It wasn't 24-7 in those days. He opens the site at 6.30 in the morning. I don't get in till 9. He doesn't have a lot of customers during that time. So I said to him, I want you to wash the floor clean the bathroom and front all the products in the, in the shop. And I said, sounds perfectly reasonable. What happens? She said, well, I get in at nine and he hasn't done it. And I said, then what happens? She said, I then yell at him and he goes and does it. And I said, and what happens? She said, Robin, it happens every single day. I just want to get rid of him. And I talked to her a little bit about autonomy. And I said, you need to, if you're doing the same, you know, what's, definition of insanity yeah. doing the same thing every day and expecting a different response yes yeah. so i said to her you need to change the subject you need to change this conversation so i said to her do you ever get all of your people together and i think she had a total staff of 11 and she said yeah every few months and i said have you got something coming up she said yeah in about a week and i said great put up with it for another week she was kind of a little bit uncomfortable with it. just trust me put it put up with it for another week I said, why do you want him to clean to do those three things? And she said, well, so that the place is clean. And I said, okay, why do you want the place clean? She had to think about that for a little while. And then eventually she said, well, so that people choose to come here instead of down the road. And I said, that is a fantastic outcome. I want you to get all your people together, do whatever it is you need to do. At the end of the meeting, I want you to ask this question to all of them. How do we get people to stop here instead of down the road? And I said, I want you to ask the question and then I want you to be quiet. And I explained to her about the 1.5 seconds of uncomfortableness. And I said, I just want you to be quiet and just look them in the eye, each of them, and wait for a response. They will be more uncomfortable than you because you're prepared for it so let me know how it goes so luckily you know to her credit she you know trusted trusted what i said a week later i get a phone call and she said i cannot believe it and i said what happened she said did exactly what you said asked just kept quiet she said you're right it was really uncomfortable and eventually she said everyone's looking around the room like for god's sake somebody answer her and she said eventually this kid kind of put his hand half up and said Oh, well, we could make the place clean and tidy. And she said, well, that's a great idea. How would you do that? And he went, oh, he kind of cottoned on at this stage what was going on. 
And he said, yeah, I could clean the floors and I could clean the bathroom and I could front the products. And she said, that's a great idea. This happened yesterday. She said, this morning I came in, he met me at the door and went, ta-da, and the place was spotless. And I said, see, when he tells himself what he needs to do, even when he realised what you were doing, because he had said, this is how I would deliver the outcome. That's what he delivered. And he had was now able to have pride in it. Mm. If he was just doing what you told him, there's no pride in that. It's like telling your kid to clean the room. Go and clean your room. When you do it, how proud, proud you will be. No, they won't. They're just following instructions. No pride in that. And the, the thing that surprised me about that story is two weeks later, I got another call from her and she said to me, Robin, how do I clone this kid? And I said, why? What happened? She said, the place has been spotless ever since that first time. She said, I can't believe it. Absolutely spotless. She said, but this morning I walked in and he met me at the door again and went to da So I'm looking around thinking, well, the place is spotless. And then I realized that he had put clean coffee beans and fresh milk in the coffee machine and he'd put a sign out on the curb because the outcome was how do we get people to stop here instead of down the road? She said, my mind is blown. She said, I would never have asked him to do that. But he took it on upon himself and he realised that at 6.30 in the morning, blue-collar workers go past the mm. site and what do they want? Fresh coffee. Mm. Their coffee sales went through the roof. And when I left Gull at the end of 20, 2010, he was managing a site. I love those stories. Yeah. They're, yeah. they're just amazing because it, it is about that human spirit, isn't yes, it? Yes, absolutely. It's like we're so fascinated by human behaviour. What makes people do what they do? And yet, if you just ask the right questions, people yeah. will demonstrate yeah. their, their amazing spirit and their amazing ability to, yes. to just shine. And commit, the, the funny thing about all of this, this, this human behaviour, is that is fodder for comedians. Oh, yeah. How many times do you hear a really good comedian and all he's doing is telling you stories of the stuff you do every day? Yes. But, it, but, but when, you, when it's put back to you, you see the funny side yeah. to it. Yes. It's situational comedy. Yeah. Interesting, isn't it? And yet we, when we're in it, we don't see it. No, ourselves. you don't see it. We don't see yes. it until someone sort of starts to point it out to yes. you. Um, we just kind of go blindly along our way doing our own thing. Exactly. But you can learn this stuff yeah. quite easily. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. So tell me about, we've talked about a little bit about the past, talked a bit about the present, what's happening in the present. Tell me about the future. What's going on for the future for you? Okay, so since we've developed the piece of software, there is the product, which is the software, and the implementation process, which sort of is the stuff I've just been talking about. So we teach people how to do this. Mm. We obviously teach them how to use the system and how to apply that philosophy in the system. So that's that's what we're doing. But for our own expansion, what we've been doing is we're providing, uh, we're getting licensees. So people who have, they, they might be a consultant, they might be an HR consultant, they could be a um, uh, an accountant or a um, bookkeeper or they've got some sort of consultancy service. So what we're doing now is we're 
providing them with the opportunity to sell the system and the implementation process and we have a fee sharing arrangement with that. But through that engagement, um, we train them on the whole process and then they implement it with their clients. And what we're finding is, so we've got half a dozen licensees here in Perth. We've got now five, possibly six in Sydney. We've also got a licensee in, in New Zealand. So what they're finding is they can sell the product quite easily because it's a product. Um, and then during the implementation of that product, they're engaging and creating really lasting relationships and trusted relationships with their clients. And now what they're doing, if, for instance, if they're a marketing person, they're becoming their client's outsourced marketing resource through that implementation process. Mm. So it's, it's creating better relationship. You know, we've got international into New Zealand, but we're also looking at the US market mm. and um, maybe even the Asian market into Singapore. Mm, exciting stuff. So where's the joy for you? Like what's the biggest, what's the thing that really lights you up about all of this? The, the joy for me is um, when I can see a business completely transformed and not only for the business owner, like we're, we're getting feedback from business owners saying I cannot believe this is this applying this process that we've now learned has transformed our our business that's great but for me it's seeing the employees like this kid that she wanted to get rid of mm. you know because now they've got that opportunity to feel the joy of inspired contribution mm. they're um, willingly owning their own roles and they love that. They're willingly, um, you know, continual improvement. They're all into that. They've created a real community in the... So the the organisational culture gets transformed through this process because we're dealing with human behaviour. Mm. Um, so that in itself. I also um, will always continue to do some training. So I love training people on how to have these conversations. Mm because the, that is the key and having outcomes. Instead of having a, a job description with a list of tasks, turn those tasks into outcomes and then you're able to have those conversations. Mm. So um, I will continue to train people on how to do that. And um, I like to train by telling stories. You know, I've told a couple of stories here and just seeing the impact of those stories you know I've, I've seen people sitting you know in the audience you know and their eyes well up with tears because they 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 understand it on a deep level an emotional level a vibrational level if you want to go there um and that's the bit that just pushes my buns that's what makes me jump out of bed in the morning that that we're actually making a difference to the lives of not just business owners, but the people working in those businesses. Mm. And I think um, just one last question, unless you've got another one for me, uh, is there was, a, there was a transition point where you went from individual consulting through to, aha, we have some leverage here. Tell me about that point. Yeah. So as I said, we started as a consultancy business we built the um, system by mistake because we went looking for it, couldn't find it, so we built it. And then we had to do a real 
almost a theoretical flip because now we were no longer selling consultancy because anyone who's a consultant, it's it's hard because sometimes you're talking to somebody and convincing them that they need to know this thing they didn't know they didn't know. So you know that you can transform businesses, but when you're just trying to talk on that level, it's hard. And where our engagement process would, we'd engage with somebody that we'd get to know them, they'd start to kind of get a feel for what we do, they'd ask lots of questions. But that engagement process could last, it could be three months. Mm. We've had people come back to us after they've discussed, had a conversation 18 months ago, mm. and you, out of the blue, they'll phone you up and say, we had a discussion about this and I kind of liked what you were saying. So we've moved from that to having a conversation with people that kind of goes, oh, you've got you've got this business, that's great. Have you got a team of people? Yes, we've got 10 people or whatever. And I go, oh, you've got a team of people, how's that working for you? And a lot of the problems businesses have is with their people because it's something that most people struggle with. So now the process is me simply saying, oh, okay, so you've got these people issues because people love to share it with you. And then I, then I say, well, I've, we've got a process and we've actually got a piece of software that actually addresses all the things you were just talking about. Would you like me to come and have a coffee and demonstrate the system to you? Oh, yeah. And they see the system, we talk about the implementation, and they sign up. Mm. So, so that whole, because you're selling a, a product, is a lot easier than selling consultancy. And the stuff that we used to call consultancy, we now call the implementation process. Mm. So people are buying a product and an implementation process, which they're relieved with. Mm. People don't want to just buy a piece of software and then try and work it themselves. Mm. They want that implementation process. But that is what we used to call our consultancy. Mm. Was that a light bulb moment? When you huge. Went, oh, my God. It's not this, it's that. Yes, huge. It was purely um, Andrew and I and my business partner, Andrew, we went to a workshop. And we had to go to different tables and talk to them about our product. And we kept talking about philosophical stuff. And they'd look at us and their eyes were glazing over. And they'd say, but you've got a product, haven't you? And we'd go, oh, yeah, well, tell me what the product does. And we'd start saying, da da And they'd go, oh, well, that sounds interesting. At the end of that day, Andrew and I kind of, we're walking away going, it's so obvious the way we're communicating about a product is not how you communicate about consultancy. Mm. So it was a huge light bulb moment. And now we just say, would you like to see the product? Mm. We don't have to convince them anything because they're feeling it. Mm. They're in the middle of it. And when somebody says, look, I, there's a product here that could solve all that, they mm. jump at the chance mm. to have a look, at least have a look. I, I love that whole flip process where... Mm. You can, you can travel along for quite a long time doing what you're doing and thinking that, you know, that, that whole um, unconscious competence thing yes. where you're doing what you're doing, you think you're doing the best you can and then all of a sudden something will come along and put you on your ear yes and make you go, oh, wait a minute, it's not that, it's this. Absolutely. <laughs> and it's incorporating that, but it's this. Yes. And so it's just that little... That little one degree of shift and that shift in thinking yes. to be able to develop something that is not 
you know, it's it's not out there. It's not yeah. something that that anybody's got. Yeah. And it's something that you've inherently got. You've got the knowledge. You've got the understanding. Yeah. And just it's a different way of op- operating it and yes. offering it to the world. So, what I love about it is that you don't have the constraints of just being one to one with one, anyone no. anymore. You've got the world. Yes. You've, that's you, right. You, like, you can essentially go global. Yeah. Yeah. Love it. What a great and, story. And. <laughs> You know, when I go back to the reason that, you know, that, that belief that everyone deserves that joy of inspired contribution, you know, if I have any part in delivering that to the more global, I'm fulfilling my reason for being. Yes. Yes. It is. A, it's like a responsibility, yes. isn't it? Yes. If you've got something good, you need yes. to share it with That's as many right. people as you can share it with, Absolutely. which is awesome. Brilliant. Look, I think you and I could talk for days, I know. which we probably would, but <laughs> we have some constraints. Um, tell me how people can get in touch with you. Okay, so the easiest way is to just go onto our website, which is thehfactor.com.au, or they can email me, robin at thehfactor.com.au. Mm-hmm. Um, and if they go to our website, they'll see, they can explore that, they can... That's actually where you log on to the system if you've got the system, but it also gives you a lot of detail about what the system does. There's a, pe- there's a little video in there about the implementation process um, so they can be clear about what that looks like. And there's also, um, if you go to how it works, there's some videos in there about the actual system, the different parts of the system mm. and how it works and why it works. Mm. Mm. Brilliant stuff. Thank you so much. I really enjoyed having a chat I with you today. I thoroughly enjoyed it. I could, <laughs> we'll do it again. Yeah, I know. No as you said, I could talk about this stuff all day. <laughs> Brilliant. All right. Thank you so much. We'll call it a wrap. Thank Thanks. you. Cheers. You've been listening to the Bright Business Women podcast with Pauline Bright. For show notes and other resources, please visit paulinebright.com slash podcast. While you're there, subscribe for future episodes to not only listen to inspiring stories, but to dive deep into what makes you, you, and use your own unique backstory for positive impact. And be a great friend. Please share the podcast with people like you. The Bright Business Women podcast is proud to be part of the Experts On Air podcast network.